Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Censored. I'm Aoife Vrtnach, a historian with a taste for filthy books. Still reading the blacklist one random smutty book at a time. To support the show, you can just keep listening or recommend it to a friend. It's nice not to be talking to myself. And you can buy some merch or sign up on Patreon. The links are in the show notes. This time, I'm reading a tiny book that caused a big stink. The Little Red School Book by Soren Hansen and Jesper Jensen was published in Denmark in 1969. The title was a cheeky nod to Mao, but this was intended to be a guide to life outside the family for children aged 10 years and more. In Denmark, advanced publicity stressed how dangerous and shocking it was. The publisher was a well-known provocative anti-censorship press that had published the first translation of Nabokov's Lolita outside of France. But when the school book was finally published, Danish reviewers found it didn't live up to the hype. One even said it was moralistic. Outside Scandinavia, however, people lost their fucking minds over this book. The Pope declared that it was sacrilegious. In the English-speaking world of Britain, Ireland and Australia, governments went demented. But even the French got carried away. Obscenity trials, police raids, cabinet meetings on the book, deportations of publishers... This was a genuine global moral panic. The Little Red School Book was a product of the much-feared hippie counterculture. Its subversive ideas about authority gave lots of governments and societies collective heart attacks. I do think moral panics are so much fun because they appear so ridiculous with the passage of time. Unfortunately, at the time, this moral panic wasn't very funny, especially for publishers fined or deported for distributing the book. But before we start, we need a drink to accompany the book. As it was aimed at children, it feels weird to talk about booze, but there is a chapter on drugs that includes alcohol. In the same chapter, it also mentions stimulants like tea and coffee. I'm opting for tea today because I need to steady my nerves. This particular censorship story is often enraging. It's a lot easier than usual to answer the question, why was it banned? You could argue, in fact, I don't have to read it because the censors told us what they hated. It was banned in May 1972 for advocating the unnatural prevention of conception or the procurement of abortion. 
So this is a rare occasion when the censors admitted what they disliked. There's no vague, indecent or obscene this time. They straight out claim the information in the book was illegal or relating to illegal practices. In Ireland in 1972, contraception and abortion were both illegal. Thing is, though, I think the censors were fibbing. By 1972, there was a certain tolerance for the distribution of contraceptive devices and information about contraception. The famous condom train from Belfast to Dublin was in 1971, when feminist activists imported condoms in front of customs officials who didn't try to stop them. I suspect the Little Red School book was banned because it was notorious rather than anything to do with contraception. It had become infamous in 1971 when it was banned in Britain under the Obscenity Act. The prosecution was instigated by Mary Whitehouse, a self-appointed crusader against moral pollution who called the Little Red School book a political and sexual revolutionary primer. Readers of Irish newspapers knew all about Whitehouse's campaign against the school book, and they knew she had met the Pope to discuss it. So when the book was imported into Ireland in early 1972, it arrived with a lot of baggage. But before we get into the historical weeds, I want to talk about the actual book itself, because that's why we're here. The full, unexpurgated edition I read was published in 2014. Yes, you heard me. It was 20-fucking-14 before an uncensored version of the Little Red School book in English was available in Britain and Ireland. After the obscenity trial in 71, it had been withdrawn, they cut some scary bits out and republished it in expurgated form. If you do pick up a second-hand copy from the 70s or 80s, it's probably the censored version. Anyway, the book is a little thing. The size of my palm small enough to fit in the pocket of a school blazer or trousers. It's about 200 pages, but in a full book size, it would probably only be 100. It's not a long book at all, but it is explosive. The original Danish edition was translated and then adapted to make it relevant to British school children. Therefore, the later sections explaining how British schools are organised and run wouldn't have been much good to an Irish child. But the rest of it was universal and incendiary. The first page constitutes the mission statement of the book, and I'm going to read you just the second half of that. Children and grown-ups are not natural enemies, but grown-ups themselves have little real control over their lives. They often feel trapped by economic and political forces. Children suffer as a result of this. Cooperation is possible when grown-ups have realised this and have started to do something about it. If you discuss things amongst yourselves and actively try to get things changed, you can achieve a lot more than you think. We hope that this book will show you some of the ways in which you can influence your own lives. This is disarmingly simple, isn't it? But the idea that parental or teacherly authority was an illusion, that it could be negotiated? I mean, up until extremely recently, a lot of adults would have a big problem with this argument. Hansen and Jensen wanted to show children how to challenge adults. When this was first published in 1969, it was perfectly legal in Britain and Ireland to beat children at home and at school. Slapping, caning, slippering, leathering, all normal, routine, everyday practice in the 70s. In fact, teachers could and did beat the living daylights out of children. 
Children went home with welts across their shoulders and backs, and with hands so bruised they couldn't hold a pen. But in Denmark, where the book originated, corporal punishment had been banned since 1963. And this gives you an idea of the educational ethos that made the Little Red School book possible. So the section on corporal punishment in the British edition was written by a British adaptation team, which included three schoolchildren. Fun fact, one of them was Hilary Benn, future Labour MP. His mother Caroline was an education reformer who probably helped him get the gig. The British team wrote that corporal punishment was obsolete and should be abolished. Sounds fair enough, but that was extremely radical. After all, it wasn't until 1987 the corporal punishment was banned in British schools. In Ireland, it was banned in 1982. Not that the ban really ended the violence, of course. I started school in 1980, and at least one teacher in my primary school continued to slap children throughout that decade. And this was a girls' school. Boys' schools were always much more violent. As children, we had no conception that we had a right to complain or protest about our treatment in school. We believed, probably rightly, that our parents would automatically side with teachers. I can confidently state that this book would have blown my mind had I read it in the mid-80s. I'm sure how radical you find this book depends on the culture of child-rearing you experienced. Those born in the late 1990s will probably find it's all old hat. But for me, the Little Red School book is straightforwardly radical. The no-nonsense, plain-speaking style conveys some extraordinary ideas. Here's page 21 in my edition under the subheading About Learning. If you're bored, you learn only how to be bored. Whether the timetable says maths, geography or whatever. If you have to do as you're told all the time, all you learn is to be obedient and not to question things. You learn not to think. If you're forced to learn, you learn that learning is unpleasant. It's no help that the teacher says it will come in useful later in life. If you're not given any responsibility or allowed to choose or decide anything for yourself, you learn to be irresponsible and to depend on others, even if your work gets 10 out of 10. In the authoritarian schools of the 70s, this kind of thing was dynamite. But let's be honest, it's still relevant to today's children. There might not be endless rote learning, but children are still in a very inflexible, exam-based, top-down model. There doesn't seem to be a lot of choice in any education system. The authors also acknowledged how powerlessness felt for students in the face of recalcitrant teachers and really impossible-to-move systems. So they suggested what to do when boredom was unavoidable. And this is from page 30. But if you really can't persuade the teacher to make his teaching less boring then you always have possibilities of escape. You know some of these possibilities very well. Writing notes to each other, drawing on the cover of books, playing with your ruler and rubber, making paper planes under the desk, thinking about what you're going to do after school, reading comics or pornographic magazines under your desks. Fuck it, they just suggested reading a porno in school. This section was among the most controversial aspects of the book for obvious reasons. In the 2014 edition, they took the words pornographic magazines out and replaced it with thrillers. It's a shame, really, because it's still truly shocking to have an adult author recommend porn to a child reader. The only surviving author, Soren Hansen, decided to change this because he felt it was a throwaway, silly kind of comment. 
The other discussion of pornography later on in the book is neither silly nor thoughtless. It's in the short chapter on sex, which gave people like Mary Whitehouse the perfect excuse to complain about the inappropriateness of the Little Red School book, because in Britain the controversy over the book centred on its sexual content. The chapter on sex opens with this refreshingly blunt summary, which lists different reasons for sleeping with people in bullet points. And this is from page 101. People go to bed with one another for many reasons. They are close friends and enjoy talking to one another, with their bodies as well. They do it because people need sexual satisfaction, and masturbation is no longer considered to be enough. They may lack security and seek it through sex. They may be under pressure to do it because everyone else in their group boasts about their conquests. They may use sex as a way of exploring their own identity. They may have deep feelings for each other and perhaps want to have children. Whatever the reasons may be, and however many people you may go to bed with, it will have consequences for each person. Now I love a list as much as the next person, but I wouldn't have thought of listing different sexual relationships like this. It's astonishing how clear, non-judgmental and understandable it is. But really, the few paragraphs on masturbation are fucking amazing. This is the first paragraph from the next page, page 102. Like I said, it's a very small book, but there's a lot in it. Masturbation. The usual word for a boy's sexual organ is cock or prick. The usual word for a girl's sexual organ is pussy or cunt. Many grown-ups don't like these words because they say they're rude. They prefer words like penis and vagina. Is that not just incredible? They've translated technical adult terms into schoolyard language while demystifying the taboo around words and body parts. Three very simple sentences, but there's so much deep purpose within them. But then it got even better because the section on masturbation ends with this incredible recommendation. If anybody tells you it's harmful to masturbate, they're lying. If anybody tells you you mustn't do it too much, they're lying too, because you can't do it too much. Ask them how often you ought to do it. They'd usually shut up then. Shit, I cannot imagine teenage me having the neck to say that to any adult. But reading it is so wonderfully bracing. The audacity is just breathtaking. I would certainly think it, but I don't think I'd have ever had the guts to say it. By now, I'm sure you're thinking, there's no surprise this was banned. But if we take the Irish censors at their word, and that's what I'm kind of bound to do, it was the contraceptive parts they disliked. So I'll read some of that out too, just for completeness. And this is from page 105. Contraceptives. If a boy and girl fuck, they may have children. To avoid this, contraceptives are used. Boys use condoms, which are sometimes called sheets or skins. These are covers made of thin rubber, which are rolled over the prick when it's stiff. You can get them at a chemist's, or from machines in some public lavatories, or you can write for them to shops which advertise in papers and magazines. Christ on a bike. I can only imagine how Irish mammies in the 70s would have felt if their 12-year-olds were reading this. I talk a lot about contraception in this podcast because sometimes it feels like all the social history of modern Ireland is about Johnnies and abortions. Just in case you've forgotten, 
Contraception without prescription was available only from 1985, 14 years after the Little Red School book was published. And it was a long time before you could just buy them in the supermarket, along with a packet of crisps and a bottle of wine. In the early 90s, boys carried a single, solitary, probably ancestral condom in their wallets, but I never had any idea where they got them from. I never asked, of course. Condom vending machines, like what the Little Red School book mentions, weren't legal till 1993 in Ireland, and they didn't magically appear in every pub once they were legal either. Fuck it, we were just so backward. Anyway, added to the contraception, there was a part on abortion that stated, if you decide not to have the baby, you can have the pregnancy stopped. Excuse me, there was a choice? There were options? These were extremely dangerous concepts in reproductive health in Ireland, so obviously it had to be banned. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Now that you're pretty convinced that the Irish censors would naturally ban a book like this, it's time to return to the history of the censorship itself. Normally, that's not very interesting. But the story of the Little Red School book is unique. First off, the edition being sold in Ireland was the revised, expurgated edition, so not the 2014 one I've been reading you out. In the censored version imported into Ireland, some of the sex chapter had been changed, references to oral sex were removed, and the recommendation that schoolchildren circulate condoms if there was no vending machine was deleted. All the publicity of the obscenity trial had made this revised version really popular in the UK. It sold 35,000 copies in less than a year. Perhaps trying to make a quick buck, a company called Film Bank Limited began to import the book into Ireland in early 1972. I'm guessing Eason's, the main commercial importer, wouldn't have touched it with a barge pole. The customs officers did their usual job. They took a few copies out to send to the board and allowed the importer to sell the rest. By the time it was banned, in May 1972, the importers had sold all their copies. All 300 of them. I mean, 
it's hardly earth-shattering sales figures. Of course, the tiny numbers involved didn't stop politicians making a fuss in the doyle. A Labour Party TD asked the Fianna Fáil Minister for Justice if the sale of the Little Red School Book was in the public interest. He said he didn't have any opinions on that because it wasn't his job to have those opinions, which is a pretty good answer. A Fuinagailer, Dr. Gard Fitzgerald, wanted to know if the minister had any power to confiscate it for obscenity. As in, did he have more powers other than the Censorship Act? This exchange proves that the concerns over the Little Red School book were cross-party. And it says a lot about the attitudes towards censorship that Gareth Fitzgerald, who's a relatively liberal politician, thought the state should confiscate books before they were banned. The authoritarian reflexes of the political class were really deep. But so far, so typical in Irish censorship history. The book was banned, and that's usually the end of the story. I don't normally tell you any of this technical stuff because it's not very interesting. But not in the case of the Little Red School book, where the Irish state went into full moral panic, insane authoritarian mode. The same week the importers were told about the ban, a man from the aliens office visited them. He came to see George Solomos, who had co-founded Filmbank, the company that was importing the school book. Because your man was out, the official then asked the nationality of everyone else in the office. This wasn't exactly an immigration raid, but it was a menacing reminder to the employees that the state was watching them and trying to catch them out. Solomos was a US citizen in Ireland on a temporary visa, a year-long permit that prohibited commercial work. His visa was about to expire, so he applied for an extension, but the minister said he could only renew it if Solomus promised not to do any work. In other words, Solomus could stay if he dropped out of film bank and if he stopped causing trouble. Thing is, Solomus's troublemaking wasn't confined to importing a dirty book. He was planning to publish a little green school book, written especially for Ireland. To that end, he was collecting contributions from the Union of Students in Ireland and others. From the government's point of view, importing English filth was bad, but using the Little Red School Book as a template was going beyond the pale altogether. Whether he knew it or not, Solomus was being provocative. When his visa wasn't renewed, he demanded a meeting with the Department of Justice. Naturally, the officials wouldn't say why his application had failed, leaving Solomus to conclude that the importation of the school book was the real reason. He told a newspaper, it's purely a censorship thing. They don't like what I'm saying. I'd have to agree with him here. The state wanted him out and they were willing to abuse the visa system to get rid of him. So Solomus was deported and the little green school book never saw the light of day. Now, the Irish state reacted very obviously and very obviously disproportionately to Solomus. This has all the hallmarks of a moral panic, but it also shows the power of performing censorship. When a state overreacts, it shows everyone how far it is prepared to go to target and punish dissent. This sort of overreaction teaches onlookers that challenging the status quo is extremely risky. The price of taking on the state is always high, but it's prohibitive when the administration is willing to deport people it doesn't like. And this is just to remind you, by the way, that in 1971, the narrative is that censorship is on its way out. 
You'll remember the law was reformed in 1967, lots of books are released from censorship jail, and the board doesn't have the same power anymore. But the terror of the government in the face of Solomus's pretty mild activities shows the impulse to censor and silence was deep in the state's DNA. Clearly then, the Irish government went mental over the Little Red School book. But for once, it wasn't the only administration to make a holy show of itself. The politicians in many countries lost their shit over this tiny book. And these are some of the highlights of the global madness. In March 1971, a French minister, Raymond Marcelin, declared the Little Red School book a threat to public order and banned importation of the French edition from Switzerland. The importer was later brought to court for trying to sell a banned publication. I was surprised the French banned it. After all, they had a tradition of publishing rude books when no one else would. But it wasn't the sex bits that worried the French government. Marcelin and his colleagues were terrified of the radical political philosophy at the heart of the Little Red School book. The politics were the problem in France because of the events of 1968, when hundreds of thousands of people had demonstrated against the political and social status quo. There was serious civil unrest, a wildcat general strike, and demonstrators even occupied public buildings and factories. Unsurprisingly, a book telling children to challenge authority was going to press the French government's buttons. And then if we turn to Australia, it was banned in the state of Queensland, but the federal government did nothing. Australian opponents of the book hilariously described it as a dangerously clever handbook of insurrection. I mean, really, insurrection, revolutionary. It's powerful, but really, it's going to start a riot? Even more astonishingly, the actual cabinet talked about the Little Red School book, debating whether children's books should be subject to special import regulations. In the end, they decided not to ban it. Not because they thought the book was harmless, but because they realised the ban was pointless. A copy of the Little Red School book is in a National Museum collection in Australia. That's how culturally significant this moment was. In a side note to the Red book, there was a clean version, the Little White School book, published by the same press later on. It was written by a Methodist minister. He copied the format of the original, but wrote it from a Christian conservative point of view. I just can't imagine what it would be like to take the template of this radical, egalitarian, non-Christian book and make it into a conservative one. Mad. It might be worth reading. Funnily enough, it didn't make it into any museums. So this tiny book was formally banned by governments in Ireland, Britain, France and South Africa. Even when it escaped the censor, like in Australia, New Zealand and Switzerland, authorities tried to restrict its circulation. Very few governments were comfortable with the idea that school children could actually read it. But here's the really depressing thing. The fallout from this moral panic is still with us today. The British publisher challenged the obscenity ban in the European Court of Human Rights, claiming his freedom of expression was breached. However, the court didn't agree. They said the government's actions were justified in pursuance of the protection of the rights of others, in this case children, and therefore a permissible restriction of rights. So there you go. In 1976, the European Court of Human Rights thought people needed to think of the children. 
Today, when governments restrict sex ed programs that contain queer content to protect children, they're on strong legal ground with that argument. Mary Whitehouse, the architect of the British ban who started this whole palaver, must be celebrating in whatever afterlife she got into. What a god-awful mess this particular moral panic created. To be honest, I don't believe this is a historic moral panic. Most parents would probably still object to 12-year-olds reading this book. But to test my suspicions of how rude the Little Red School book is, I have to do censorship bingo. And, of course, it's an extremely scientific research method, she says, hopefully. We begin, as usual, with breasts. Yes, absolutely. Uh, They're there in the guide to the erogenous zones. There's even instructions on what to do with them. Amazing. Bestiality. No, nothing there. Sex work. No, there's nothing about work. It's all really about school. Racism. No. And to be honest, this is one of the big weaknesses of the text. It's very honest that structural discrimination exists in relation to academic ability, gender, social status, but there's nothing on race. Now, of course, this is the UK version. Other countries' local versions may vary. Next up, drugs. Oh yes, there's a whole chapter on drugs. Lists all the important drugs. Hash, LSD, heroin, amphetamines, cocaine. It explains addiction. It explains why you might want to do drugs and why you might not. Yeah, absolutely. You could tick this with bells on. Politics. Definitely. While the title borrows from Mao's Little Red Book, it's not so much communist as egalitarian and anti-authoritarian. And of course, it's banned in France for being too political. So definitely, we have to take that one. Swearing. Well, yes, actually, even though it's not really sweary. But the sections that use words like cock and cunt definitely count as bad language. So we can tick that. Infidelity. No, marriage vows are not really a pressing issue for young teenagers. They can't even get married. Crime. Yes, of course. I mean, there's the whole drugs chapter. The way it's written, it's trying to destigmatize lots of activities. So you could argue it rejects narratives of criminality and shame around homosexuality, pornography, sexual desire. You name it, really. So yeah, it's, there's a lot about crime in this. Next up, genitalia. Yeah, I read that bit out. Names all the bits without blushing. Abortion. Absolutely, there's a very frank discussion about abortion and it contained phone numbers and addresses of abortion agencies. Orgies. No, I mean not directly. But the section on abnormal and normal sexual desires would give anyone with less conventional tastes reassurance that they were not alone. It's very clear that abnormal is used as a weapon to punish people. Next up, sexual assault. Yes, but this is another weak point in the book. Under the heading Child Molesters or Dirty Old Men, it says, In the old days, people used to talk about dirty old men. Children were told they were dangerous. This is very rarely true. They're just men who have nobody to sleep with. Right, well, that's not right. The child abuser constructed in these paragraphs is exclusively male and a stranger. We know this isn't true. And it doesn't really treat the harm of sex abuse seriously, even if it does tell the reader to talk to parents and teachers if you come across a dirty old man. But even acknowledging this issue so openly would have shocked the censors. Then, extramarital pregnancy. 
Yes, because the fundamental basis of the teenage sex reviewed in the book is that it's outside marriage. Masturbation. Yes, of course, I've read it out already. Sex toys. No. Next up, feminism. Now, I don't remember reading the word anywhere, but the discrimination against girls section certainly counts as a feminist statement, so we can tick that. Divorce. No, because marriage really isn't part of the narrative. Contraception. Yes, plenty about that. Menstruation. Yeah, also described. Blasphemy. Well, anything the Pope thinks is sacrilegious must be blasphemous by definition. To be honest, it doesn't challenge any church, but it does offer a vision of morality that is entirely without Christianity or church authority. So yeah, got a ticket. Oral sex. Yes, that part was deleted for the expurgated edition published in the UK after the original was banned. Next up, graphic violence. No, not at all. And finally, queer content. Well, yes, absolutely. The first sentence in the section on homosexuality states, everyone is different in sexual matters too. It confidently predicts that marriage between queer people will be legal in the future. So definitely take this one. In total then, the Little Red School book scores 16 out of 25 in censorship bingo, which is fairly fucking high. There were lots of sex ed manuals that would score similarly, but this book was aimed at children, and that made all the difference. It was truly subversive and dangerous to offer this to children and to expect them to read it. I think we should all go out and buy it, just to give the past censors two fingers. And parents among you can leave it round the house, thereby embarrassing your children. Really, it's a win-win. I'm returning to the world of literature next episode with a novel by Doris Lessing called Martha Quest. Nothing can really compare to this moral panic from 1971, but the novel is set in South Africa, a country with a strict censorship regime comparable to Ireland. And I really enjoy Doris Lessing, so I'm looking forward to it. Till then, keep your hands clean and your minds filthy. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.